We're talking about the peace of God. Jesus was born to bring peace. That's the very reason why He came. In fact, in the book of Luke, in chapter 2, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill because of that peace towards men. Peace. And yet down through history has been anything but peace. In the 4,000 years before Christ up till today, studies have estimated that 4 billion people have been killed through wars. That's not what I would call peace. This is the holiday season and people talk about peace, people think about peace, there's songs about peace, there's signs about peace. Wherever you go in the world, if you were to ask them, it's the one thing they would want to have, and they would certainly say the thing that we're looking for most is peace. Peace in our home, our marriage, just peace in our country. Our text today is one of the most wonderful passages in Scripture about peace. J.I. Packer, influential theologian, author, Bible teacher, said about Colossians 3.15, which we'll be talking about, it is one of the 100 Bible verses that every Christian should know by heart. So I hope that you'll, in a few moments, uh, just uh, rejoice as we go through Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. But uh, finding peace and keeping peace is not always that easy. I had to laugh as I read this week a story about an old woodsman and I feel just like this sometimes. He was giving some advice about catching a porcupine. This man who was an expert uh, in the outdoors, how to catch a porcupine. He said, you watch for the slapping tail and then you dash in and you drop a large wash tub over him. And then the question was asked, well, uh, what's the wash tub for? He said, well, that gives you something to sit on while you're trying to ponder your next move. <laughs> and I think that's me sometimes, honestly. I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I'm, well, how did I get here? But I need peace, and so do you. And I believe God's going to meet with us today. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this passage. What a beautiful passage it is, how our hearts are touched. I pray now, Lord, today that you would just bring peace to our spirit peace to our hearts. Teach us, Lord, how to let the peace of Christ be in us. Amen. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul was talking about how to be a heavenly citizen. I think some people could probably learn some lessons on how to be a good American citizen. But how do we be a citizen of heaven? And that's what all of chapter 3 in Colossians is about. And one of the things we have to do is to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So let's go to verse 15, Colossians 3 and verse 15, and let's read it all together out loud. All right, ready to begin. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. 
Let's just say that first phrase again. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that's our theme and that's our passage today. If I was to paraphrase this verse, I would simply say the paraphrase would be this. Very loose paraphrase. But here's what it would be. It's sleep in peace tonight. Because God is bigger than anything you will face tomorrow. Anything. There are four ways from this verse in verse 16 that I feel like we can let the peace of God rule. First of all, when we are submitted with peace. There is a submission to the peace of God that needs to take place. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. And let. The Holy Spirit here gives us the first guideline. We must submit or let as the King James word is, let. Let ourselves to be governed or ruled by the peace of God. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In other words, let the incredible fact that God is at peace with you and that you are in His acceptance and have His favor flood your heart. Now in Scripture, for the believer, there are actually two things about God's peace. The first one is the peace with God, and that is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It is objective and invariable. We have peace because we have peace with God. Romans 5 and verse 1. Let's read it together, please. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first piece, which is objective and absolutely invariable, is peace with God. Say that with me. Peace with God. There's a peace with God. Now, why do I have peace as a believer? Because the death of Jesus Christ has reconciled me to the Father. I have offended Him deeply, and you have offended Him. Your sin and my sin If a person was to only sin three times a day, that's a thousand sins a year. By the time they're 20 or 25 or 30 or 40, imagine a thousand sins a year. Why, if we went to the court system with all of these sins at our account, they'd throw the book away. They'd just say, man, put that guy in jail. There is no way that he's going to ever get out. Look what it says in verse 10 of chapter 5 in Romans. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more than being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We are reconciled. There was a division. There was a a necessary division. God had to pull away because of sin. God can't embrace sin. He can't look at sin. He can't fellowship with sin. It's impossible. You can't let... uh, Uh, even one bit of darkness into light, or else perhaps it would be 99.9% light. And that's not pure light, but God is pure. He's absolute light. And so when He reconciled us, us, we have peace with God. That's the first kind of peace in Scripture. But the second kind is the peace of God. And that is not objective. And it's not invariable, but rather it is variable. It is up to us. It is the peace of God. And that's what 
Paul is referring to in this passage. We're not talking about peace with God. That's already settled because of our salvation. It might have been when you were five or six years old and you were in Sunday school and you prayed to ask Christ in your heart. You might have been 20 years old and in the Navy. You might have been 45 years old and someone came along to your door and told you about Jesus Christ. But whatever the case, that's the peace with God because we have, we have offended Him. We are, as it says here, an enemy. We finally get peace with God. But now the peace of God, that's not something that everybody has. If you're a believer, you have peace with God. If you're a believer, you may not have the peace of God. That's completely different. That's what Christ said in John chapter 14 and verse 27. Look what he said. Peace I leave with you. I'm leaving, guys, at least in a physical presence. I'm leaving this earth. He gathered them together. He's about to, to be crucified. And he said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. My peace. He didn't say, I'm going to give you worldly peace. Nothing wrong with worldly peace. Uh, that is, you know, maybe a kind of a, a connection and you're kind of people who like each other, you know, that kind of a peace. There's certainly nothing wrong with having maybe a financial peace, nothing wrong with having, you know, relational peace. But that's not the peace Jesus was even talking about. He said, my peace. Jesus has never been without peace, never been a time when he didn't have his peace. And he said, I leave it with you. I give you my peace. The peace of the world is based on circumstances. The peace of Christ is based on certainties. Here he was, poor as he could be, about ready to die, be betrayed, and yet he was at peace. Notice what this verse says. It said, let, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Rule. The word here pictures something that is taking control. Now, nothing is more valuable to us than our minds and our emotions. And our mind and our emotions are constantly under attack. Fear wants to rule our minds. Fear entered into the world right after Adam and Eve. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, it says after Adam and Eve sinned, they were what? Afraid. You never heard that word before then. They were afraid after they sinned. And most of us, frankly, are ruled not by the peace of Christ, but by the fear of our own heart. We're ruled by worry. Our, our lives are all different because all the economy or fear of failure or what others think. Now, that word is an interesting word. The word, uh, let the peace of Christ rule, the word rule is umpire. That's actually a literal modern-day illustration of what it's meaning, umpire. An umpire would decide of a person who had won the race, and he would make sure that the rules are being kept. I like what one pastor, Kent Hughes, said, who's also an author and a theologian from Wheaton, Illinois. He said, here's what the sense is about this verse. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire of your heart. Amidst the conflicts of life, let it, the peace of Christ, decide what is right. Let, dis let Jesus decide what is right. He wants to be in your heart. Jesus doesn't just want to be a resident in you. He wants to be president in you. And that's what he wants. 
And that's what he's trying to say here. Let God's peace make your decisions, not stress, not fear, not uh, anger. Let peace make your decisions. Let peace umpire your heart. Picture with me for a moment the game of baseball. Anybody who knows anything about baseball, maybe you've played it, you just love to watch it. Even if you're not a fan, and you, just, you probably know a little bit about it, that there's a man or a woman that's behind that catcher, and he wears a black suit, and that person is called an umpire. Now, the umpire, his job is to make sure that the rules are followed. And they stand there absolutely unruffled by what happens. The managers are saying things from the dugout. You know the person who is batting is upset. You know that the catcher is trying to fiddle with you. The fans are screaming things. The manager may come out of the dugout and kick dirt on you. The fans may even throw a spitwad at you. But your job is to remain there unperturbed. Let the peace of God rule your heart. And notice what it said. You have to let it happen. That means I have an active part in being at peace. Now think with me for a minute. This matter of the peace of God, to not have peace as a Christian really is irrational because God created heaven and earth. God, the same God who loves me, the same God who died for me, He runs everything. Would it be normal for the daughter of a billionaire to run around just always worried about having enough food on the table? Would it be normal for a daughter of a billionaire to be running around all worried whether or not they'll be able to make it the next week? You see, the fact is we are, the, we are a child of a king, like the old song said. And because of that, God said we should never fear. Let that peace let the fact of that. He doesn't want to just be resident. He wants to be president in our life. Let him umpire. Let the peace of God be in your spirit. You'd say, well, how does this work? Well, the, the way it works is we just have to let God be God, and we just have to trust him because we have to live by faith. People say, oh, well, you know, that blind faith will get you. Well, my faith is not blind. It's just that I'm blind. And so I just trust the one who's leading me through this world. Suppose someone is blind, sight impaired, and that person has a friend, and they're going to walk in an area that's really difficult. There's lots of, you know, things that could hurt that person. And so here I am, I'm blind. Now, what, what is my job? My job is to trust that that person who's going to lead me. I'm going to put my hand perhaps on their uh, arm, and they're going to lead me, and I'm going to walk around. My job is to trust and believe that that person has my best interests in mind. That's my job. Now, if I'm, if I'm worried about that person, if, they, if I've maybe been a little mean to them or something, well, maybe I should not be at peace. But if they love me, I know they love me, they have a great heart, I know absolutely, without a doubt, 100%, that person would never lead me to a place that would hurt me. Then what am I doing? I have peace. Can I see? Nope. I'm walking blindly, but I have peace because I trust the one who is leading me. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying, you've got to let me lead. 
Let me lead. Some husbands I've counseled with in their office and said, I just wish my wife would let me lead. I just wish she'd let me lead. And sometimes we have to let somebody just take us and lead us and take us to the place we need to be. How much misery would we avoid if we permitted the peace of Christ to umpire our hearts? How many sleepless nights would we forgo if we believed in the peace of God? Now, I must, before we move on to this point, I must uh, note that there is such a thing as a false peace. For example, Jonah had a false peace. He was a good man. He was a wonderful preacher, very effective, and yet he just got crossways with God, got very uh, opinionated, and uh, maybe we might even say racist. He just hated a certain group of people. God told him to go preach to him. He wouldn't do it. And so he disobeyed, ran from God, got into the hull of a ship, and fell asleep as though he was on a balmy shore of a Caribbean island. But he, while he was sleeping in peace, he was not at peace. It was a false peace. I've heard people say, well, I've prayed about it, and this is what God told me to do. You know, praying about it is not sufficient to get the peace of God. Our life has to be obedient to the Word of God. Certainly nothing wrong with praying about it. I read of a woman who was a widow. Her husband had passed away. Speaking of false peace, she uh, had lived a life in peace, and when her husband passed away, she put on her tombstone the words, rest in peace. And that was good until she found out that he had left her out of his will. And so she went to the person and they, they put this on the tombstone, till I come. <laughs> rest in peace till I come. <laughs> you know, that's a false peace. There's a uh, different kind of peace that they have today. Islam Islam, we're told, the very word Islam is an Arab word, obviously. But it is a word, they say, that means actually peace. The religion Islam, the very name, means peace. And we might be uh, saying, well, that's really a nice thing, but it's not the kind of peace that we think. The kind of peace that that word actually means, from the etymology of that word, it means a peace when someone is laying down their sword because they've been vanquished. It's the yielding type of peace. It is the being submitted kind of peace. It is laying down. The very name is indicative of the religion, and that is it is a violent concept that we are going to overcome. That's not true peace. The kind of peace that Jesus talked about is the kind of peace that we ought to have. His peace now, Jesus was also in a ship. Jesus was also in a storm. Jesus was also sleeping, but he didn't have false peace. He had true peace because he was an obedient to the Father. He had let God's will be in his life. He sought the guidance from Scripture. He was out doing the right thing. That's true peace. Let it. We have to let it happen. We have to submit to it, and we have to submit to God's peace. Let it umpire. Let it just rule everything we do. The second thing, and the second way we find peace is when we are called to peace. When we understand the calling that is ours, 
Look at the second part of Colossians 3, verse 15. To the which also ye are called in one body. Now, this is an important truth. Peace is not just a good idea. It's not just a suggestion. It is our calling. It is our duty. It is part of our Christian calling to live at peace. God doesn't want His people to be all stressed out all the time, all fussing, upset, and all, you know, full of um, anxiety. God's people are supposed to be full of peace. When a believer loses his peace, it is sad proof that he has or she has given place to the evil one. But when we're at peace, we're all safe. Let the peace of Christ rule the heart. When the peace of Christ rules the day, it's because Christ is ruling the heart. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15, God has called us to peace. Now, if you know the context of chapter 7, we really doesn't fit here, so we won't get into that. But the point is that God, talking about marital relationships, He said you ought to learn to be to get along because God has called us to peace. One of the reasons that Christian couples ought to get along is because as Christians, we are peaceful. We're peaceful people. Peaceful. God says you're called to it. That means we're supposed to put some elbow grease into getting peace. You know, there are two words used in Scripture in relation to peace that talks about this calling, this effort that we're supposed to put in. The words are strive and diligence. For example, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, pursue. It means to make every effort. If you were to read uh, maybe another translation, it would say, make every effort. Make every effort to have peace with all men. Make every effort. Many of us don't make any effort, but make every effort. God said, it's a calling. It's put your effort into it. Second Peter chapter 3 Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace. Be found in Him in peace. People say, well, I just believe God's the one who gives peace. That's true. And we can't do it alone. But the fact is, it will not be done without us either. God expects us to pursue it. He expects us to put every effort into it, to be diligent to go after peace. And one thing I've realized about peace is it is, the, it is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, how many would agree with me that growing fruit requires work? It requires work. If you, some of our folks in our church, they're just really good. They seem to have a green thumb. They grow things all the time. I am impressed with you. I've tried to grow things in the past. Boy, it just is a lot of work. We had a little apple tree in our backyard for years. And I don't know what was wrong with that thing, but I, I love apples. I am a, I just, I would eat them every day pretty much. I just love them. I love them, the crispy, juicy, my f- sweet Fujis are the most favorite ones. I don't know what kind of apple tree I had, but it didn't grow very tall. It was dinky and uh, the, the buds would come out and then we'd get about a half a dozen uh, apples and then I'd think, okay, we're finally going to have apples. And I'd go out there one day and every one of those things would have a hole in them it, and they tasted bitter. I don't know what it is. I just wasn't very good. I don't know what I was doing wrong. But I tell you one thing, requires uh, fruit requires a lot of work. And if you're going to, but if you're going to have a good apple pie, boy, you've got to put some work into that thing. Fruit 
requires work. Galatians chapter 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is what? Peace. Peace, fruit, requires work. It doesn't just come automatically. God wants us to put some effort into it. One of the most important ways to keep your marriage good is by putting your effort into it. Someone once wisely said, chase your wife even when she's already yours. Chase your wife even when she's already yours. Put in the effort or someone else will. The fact is when people truly care, they make effort, not excuses. If you're not ready to work on your peace, then the fact is you're not going to get it. God says you're called to it. First of all, He says you have to submit to it. You have to let God's peace come. You just have to stop and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to let your peace come here. What would you do in this situation? How would you handle this situation? God, I just pray for your peace to come into this situation. Let God umpire it. Let God bring it together. And then number two, realize it's not just uh, going to just, you're not going to just wake up one day and have peace. God said, put every effort into it. It's a calling. And so number one, we're submitted with peace. We let the peace of God rule when we are submitted with peace. We're called to peace. And number three, we are preserved by peace. We are preserved by peace. Look at that third part, last part of uh, chapter, 15, uh, chapter 3, verse 15. In fact, let's read that verse together again. Ready? Begin. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let's say that last little phrase again. And be ye thankful. All right, be thankful. We are, if we want to preserve the peace, if we want to maintain peace, if we want to keep uh, things peaceful, then we must continue to be thankful. Now, the work of thanksgiving to God is just that. It is work, but it's a pleasant work. It's a beautiful work, and it makes us people that are full of peace. If you'll spend five minutes just praising God, every five minutes you spend praising God, the peace level will just grow. If you don't have peace, just start praising God. Lord, I just praise you. I thank you for this. And you just watch how the peace of God just begins to flood your soul. Now, I don't know much about English grammar for sure, even though I'm a public speaker, a pastor by profession, an author by uh, avocation. But uh, I certainly don't really know anything about Greek grammar. I studied a little Greek. But um, here's, I want you to notice that little phrase there where it says, be ye thankful. Now, the Greek grammar there is what they call present imperative. And so if we were going to translate that little part of the verse, it would be this way. Keep on becoming thankful. Keep on becoming thankful. It didn't, because if you read it, it might just mean, you might just read it as be thankful or, you know, one time say thanks, but that's not what God is saying. It just says, keep working on being thankful. Make it a part of your life to just constantly be thankful. Have you ever thought about how important it is just to express your thanks to your, those around you? How important it is just to say thank you to your beloved or thankful to your children or thank you to a friend or someone that does the, something for you at work or whatever the case. You know, if we would just start saying thank you to people, 
you would just be surprised how much peace it would come in. I heard of one man that decided he was going to bring peace. And so he was out talking to some fellow, and he said, did you hear about John? He said, oh boy, that John, man, I'm telling you what. He said, you know, hey, wait a second. He said, John told me that he thinks you're an excellent businessman. Really? John said that about me? Yeah, he did. And so, well, well, you know, didn't say a lot. And then uh, he went over to John, and he talked about Charlie over there. He said, boy, that Charlie's over there. And that John said, oh, that Charlie, boy, these two guys are having trouble all the time. He said, wait a second. He said, Charlie said, you're a man of real integrity. Well, he did. Well, wow. Oh, well, you know, kind of mumble a little bit. Pretty soon, this guy had brought peace just by expressing gratefulness and thankfulness. It'd be amazing what would happen if we would just do the same thing with God. If we would just start saying, God, I just thank you. I bless you. I thank you, Lord. And the peace of God comes. We preserve the peace, God said, by being thankful. Now, we get peace by submitting to God. Okay, God, I want your peace to come into this situation. I need to back off. Well, I let your word become the umpire in this situation. I've been pushing. I've been trying to do it myself. God, I just let you umpire. I'm going to let the peace of God. I'm just going to let it happen. I'm just going to let it come in. And then I'm going to, I know it's a calling. And so I'm going to work at it. I'm not just going to assume that it's going to happen. I'm going to purpose to know the word. I'm going to purpose to get into this thing. And then third of all, I'm going to keep on, as the Greek word is there, keep on being peaceful. One uh, writer said this, when the buckets we carry, listen, when the buckets we carry are full of Christ, our lives will be bathed with the peace of God. (laughs) When the buckets we carry are the full of Christ, the lives we have will be bathed with the peace of God in thanksgiving. You know, to be ungrateful is a bad thing, but to be ungrateful to God is just plain wicked. It is not only important for a person's spiritual life to be thankful, it is important to our physical life. Study after study shows exactly what Scripture points out, and that is a thankful attitude of the mind is a great way to health of the body. You know, thanksgiving and being thankful is such a, it just seems such a lost art anymore. It just seems like people are so angry with each other any day anymore, and people only hardly say thank you. And You go to a store, and you see, you know, people treating each other, and talking to the people at the, getting their coffee, just saying, man, we need to be more thankful, be more peaceful. Warren Wearsby, the great author, was talking about a ministerial student in Illinois who was at a lake. At this particular lake, Lake Michigan, there was a ship that had run aground, and people were being thrown out into the waters there. And Edward Spencer, true story, waded out again and again into the frigid waters. He rescued 17 of the passengers, but in so doing, because of the frigid water, because of the situation, it was very damaging to his health. He later died, saving 17 people, and not one of those people came to his funeral. And that's a, that's a tipple, it seems, of what's happening today. God has rescued us from the eternal death and danger, and yet it seems like so many of us don't just every day say, Lord, thank you for my salvation. You know, in the Old Testament, 
there's all these different offerings and all these kinds of, you know, feast days. Have you ever noticed that the thank offerings and the peace offerings go together? A thank offering and a peace offering go together. I think that's still true in the New Testament. Thanks offering and a peace offering. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice. And sometimes giving praise to God is just plain sacrifice because I don't feel it. I'm not feeling real thankful to God right this moment. But God said that's when it's a thank offering. It's a thank offering because it's a sacrifice. It's not the way I'm feeling, but I give it because it's an offering. So I encourage us this week, when something just gets up under your skin and it just starts working you over, the best thing to do this week is say, Lord, I'm just going to stop right now and give a thank offering to you and watch the peace of God because thanks offerings and peace offerings go together. We let the peace of God rule. Amen. We let the peace of God rule when we are submitted to it. All right, Lord, I just, I'm going to let your word umpire my heart. I'm going to let it happen. I'm going to lay it down. I yield. I give up. I wave the right white flag. Okay, Lord, give me peace. I need your peace. I don't need the peace from having a full bank account, although I wouldn't mind it. I don't need the peace of making sure that I've got a hot apple pie at home, although I wouldn't mind it. I don't have need the peace of making sure that uh, everything is going my way, although I wouldn't mind it. I need the peace of Christ. Jesus said, my peace I'll give unto you. My peace. He didn't say, I'm going to give you the peace that uh, your political party uh, is going to win this uh, election. He didn't say, I'm going to give you the peace of having a bank account. He said, I'll give you my peace. What kind of peace did you have, Jesus? When I was about ready to die, I was in absolute peace. I was about ready to be betrayed. I was in absolute peace. Grieved, but at peace. Hurt, but at peace. Wandering, but at peace. Still at peace. An inner peace that just, no matter what was going on, I have peace. Submitted to peace, then called to it. It's not just going to happen. It is a calling. We got to put our effort into it. Make every effort, the scripture says. Make every effort. And then number three, if we're going to have peace, we got to make sure that we give thanksgiving to God. That's the way it's preserved. And now number four, we can let the peace of God rule when we allow ourselves to be enriched through peace. Peace itself is enriching. Verse 16, let's read it together, all right? Everybody have verse 16? All right, let's read it out together, nice and loud. Ready? Begin. Let the word of Christ dwell in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God said, if you want peace, the Word of Christ must dwell in you. The Word of Christ must dwell in you, but not just dwell, richly. <laughs> richly. Dwell means to live at home. Is the Word of God at home in you? Or is it like, man, I don't know, this, this Bible stuff's kind of weird. Or is the Bible stuff just flow? Is it just natural? Does it live at home? That's what the Word means, to dwell. But not just dwell, to dwell richly. It should be given liberty in our life. Do we allow the Word of God to go into every part of our home? 
God, I allow you to come into the living room, but don't you dare come into my bedroom. Don't you go, dare go into my study, and I don't want you on my computer, God. I don't want you looking at that. I don't want you going to the refrigerator and looking at my whiskey. Oh, I, I guess you don't put whiskey in the refrigerator. But uh, some of you are laughing. I, I knew about that. I know a little bit. But um, I tell you what. These people say, I want the... I, I just, I'm so glad that I've got a Bible. Well, I'm glad you do too. It's a wonderful thing to have a Bible. But, you know, it's not enough to have a Bible, and it's not enough to have a Bible on the shelf. It's important to have the Bible in your soul. It's a good thing to carry your Testament in your pocket to work with you, but it's a whole lot better to have the New Testament in your heart with you. I mean, it's a great thing to have an iPhone now, to have all these wonderful programs, but you know what? It's one thing to have an iPhone. It's another thing to let the Word of God dwell inside of you. I've seen people so completely absorbed in their iPhones. I mean, they ignore everything around them. Watch this little... I asked them if they could find a little video. Watch this. You'll get a kick out of this. They're looking at their video, their iPhones. several of them there. But, uh, you know, wouldn't it be so amazing if we were so interested in our Bible that we'd fall into a lake, you know? It's like, I would read my Bible so much, you know, like that. Most people read their Bible as though they're in pain, you know? I mean, oh, I just can't find time. I'll tell you one thing. You find time for your iPhone, don't you? Come on, preacher. Amen. That's some preaching point right there. Come on now. Come on, brother. Come on, let's get some Baptist amen. You love your iPhone, amen. You know you do. Don't you be sitting there looking at me like, oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> don't be pious to me, brother. I know, sister. I know you love your iPhone. You ought to love your Bible a whole lot more than that. Amen. And it's all right if you have your iPhone, your Bible on your iPhone. I do. I, man, that's, I rarely read it physical, a physical Bible anymore, but it's still the Word of God. But I'm telling you one thing, we ought to make sure that we're so absorbed in that. People say, well, I go through the Bible every year. Amen. I like what Gypsy Smith said. He said, it's really not as important how many times you go through the Bible as how many times the Bible goes through you. (laughs) Amen. It ought to be richly in us, richly in us. I like what Rich Renner said when he's translating this verse. He said, Here's what that Bible means when it says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. It means throw open the doors, roll out the red carpet, and give it a grand reception. Richly. The Word of God turns us into a spiritual billionaire. God said, be in the Word of God richly and you'll find peace. 
There was a young French girl in years past who was born blind. She learned to read by touch. A friend gave her a braille copy of Mark's Gospels, and she read it so much that her fingers began to be calloused and insensitive, couldn't read the Gospel. In an effort to regain the feeling in her fingers, she cut the skin from the end of her fingers just so she could read the Gospel. Soon the calluses became, replaced the skin, and now it was even more insensitive than before. She was brokenhearted. She took her Bible to her lips to kiss it goodbye, and in so doing, realized that the skin on her lips was the most sensitive, and she learned to read Braille with her lips. That's how much we should treasure the Word of God. We should treasure it and read it as though it was the dearest thing to our soul. Would to God that every Christian would have an appetite for the Word of God richly, as it says here. It is the richest thing of my day. I love everything that I do, but nothing is as special as the Word of God. There was a pilot flying a plane one day, a small plane, by himself when he heard a strange noise. He listened for a time and then, horror of horrors, realized it was the sound of a gnawing of a rat. Wondering what in the world this rat was chewing behind all the instruments there, the pilot realized that if he didn't do something quick, he might chew through a wire, and his plane would go down. So what did the pilot do? The pilot of this small plane took that plane, he pulled back, and he went up and up until the air got so thin he had to put on his oxygen mask, but in so doing, he killed that rat. The fact is, the, the rodents of this world can't last in the high atmosphere of God's Word. It doesn't work any other way. (laughs) That's a good illustration, amen? (laughs) I tell you what, notice what God said. He said, I want you to sing your way to peace. He said, I want you to sing now. Say, man, I'm not a singer. Did you know that God made crows just as much as he made canaries? God said, you don't have to sing good. You just need to sing. Notice what he said, sing in your heart. And by the way, some of you need to obey that. And uh, don't sing with your mouth, sing with your heart, okay? (laughs) I'm just kidding you. I love it all. The little uh, brother Matt Check, your little granddaughter last week came up and sang a song to me, an old hymn. Man, by the time she was done... The tears were in my eyes, just like, here's this precious little three, four-year-old girl just having all that just inside of her. You want to know that that music just brings peace. God said, music brings peace. Let music come into you. Sing. Now, I'm all for, you know, playing music, but that's not the point here. It's talking about singing music or listening to singing. Now, 
I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a, much about grammar, but uh, there are th- notice there are three words here in verse 16 that all end with the word or the phrase ing, ing, teaching, admonishing, and singing. Now that little suffix there, ing, is a participle, they tell me. For me, I don't know the difference between a participle and a pickle. I really don't. But here's what a participle is. A participle is a byproduct of that which is before. A byproduct of that which is before. So God said, if the Word of God is in your soul, then you'll be able to teach, you'll be able to admonish, and you'll be able to sing. I can't sing. That's because the Bible's not in you. If the Bible gets in you, you'll sing. You'd say, well, what would I sing? God said, well, here's what you sing. And God says, I I don't mind variety. He said, sing psalms, first of all. Notice what it says there. Sing psalms. What are psalms? Psalms are Bible-based praises. They're just singing Scripture. God said, you ought to sing the Scripture. Sing it. Just sing Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave. For God so loved the world. Just sing it. Sing the Bible. Sing it. God said, sing psalms. And not meaning just the psalms, although it probably would be referring to that because the book of Psalms is a songbook. <laughs> Pretty interesting songbook. Oh God. Kill my enemies, kill my enemies, slap them dead, hit them up the head, slap them dead, kill my enemies. <laughs> I like that song. But, uh, but there's other songs too. Oh God, you know, reveal my sin to me. Oh, you know, and you've got to sing that in a minor tune, you know. But um, in, in your case, in my case, you know, I don't have any sin, but... Um, I think I just saw a little bit of lightning come my way, but uh, no, no one a bigger sinner than me. Psalms and then hymns. God said, sing scripture songs. Now I've seen some folks, boy, they'll sing psalms, but they don't want to sing hymns. They definitely don't want to sing choruses. But God said, you ought to sing hymns. Hymns are rich, sturdy wonderful doctrinal songs that stand the test of time. That's really what a hymn is. It is just a rich, doctrinal, meaty. Many of them, unfortunately, have King's English because they came from that era, but uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, uh, after, frankly, many, most of the King James language is much more accurate than our current, current language. But sing psalms, sing hymns. And then sing songs. God just said sing songs. Those are cute little ditties that, you know, get in little worm, uh, earworms, brain worms that get inside there and stick there. Get, you know, when I was a teenager, I, uh, there were several songs. That was in the late 60s and the 70s. And there were several songs that uh, was stuck in my head. Pastor Mike, he was a big music guy, and he knows all the songs, every word to every song, every rock song that's ever been. 
And he still knows them. That was his Bible. To me, I didn't know any of them. I just remember one phrase. You know, oh, sweet pea, won't you go with me? Oh, sweet pea. Or, like a bridge over troubled water. And uh, that's all I knew. I didn't know the rest of it. I didn't know the rest of the song. I didn't know what happened to sweet pea. Do you know the way to San Jose? Do you? That's all I know. But that's enough. That's a spiritual song right there. Get just one little phrase. Get one little phrase. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Just get it inside you. And God said, watch the peace come. Peace comes when the music gets there. Music comes, peace comes. Music comes, peace comes. Singing your way to peace. God said, just sing your way to peace. First of all, he said, you've got to let it happen. I mean, you've got to, you've got to just back off, submit to the peace of God. Then you've got to put your effort into it. Then you've got to spend time in praise. And he said, then sing your way into peace. Now, you have an automobile. It has an engine. In order for that engine to work, it needs both fuel and spark. Think of it this way. The fuel is the Word of God, but the spark is singing. It puts excitement into the Word of God. It just personalizes. It gets it inside of there. Each of us, it's up to each of us to let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. I close with this story. There was a story told of two men, two men from an ancient European country of yesteryear. Both were convicted of stealing sheep. And for their crime, they were branded, of all things. That was a tough day. They were branded on the side of their head with the letters S-T, sheep thief. One of the men ran away from the area, attempted to build a new life, but even there, people would see that scar, ask him about it. He got so obsessed with it, he had no peace. He continued his wanderings, unable to find any joy and peace in his life, finally committed suicide. The other man took a vastly different approach. He said to himself, I can't run from the fact that I stole sheep, but I can stay here and do right and live for God. After decades of living in peace, he passed away. He uh, lived there. He uh, had built a reputation for great integrity in all that he did. One day, a stranger saw the man, a stranger to that village saw the man with the word, the letters S-T, sheep thief, branded in the side of his head. A stranger comes into the city, sees a man with that on the side of his head. He asked a longtime resident, who that was and what did that mean? The fellow looked at him and said, you know, actually, I don't know that I actually remember. All I know is it happened a long time ago. But I've, honestly, I've forgotten the particulars. He said, I, what I think it stands for is saint. <laughs> S-T. That man had lived such a peaceful life for so long. He had been such a man of integrity that his life turned from a sheep thief to a saint. 
And that's what God wants in our life. And we let the peace of God rule in our heart. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.